uh, to Luke chapter 6. That's where we'll start. We're looking at three different passages this morning. But the first one will be Luke 6. You can turn to page 1097 in a Bible under a chair in front of you if you need to use one. Page 1097. Why does the church exist? Hopefully, over this month of November, you'll be able to answer that question. So the question is, what is the primary task of the church? Last week, we answered the question, what is the mission of the church? And it is the mission statement of Calvary Baptist Church, glorifying God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is why the church exists, glorifying God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And our mission statement then, as it comes to understanding why we exist, as an explanation of why we exist, becomes a tool of evaluation. What should we be doing as a church? So it answers the question of what. It helps us to determine what we should do as well as what we shouldn't do. It also helps answer the question of how are we doing as a church? What are we to be doing? How are we doing in what we are to be doing? And it answers the question, are we successful? Are we successful as a church? And I gave a a, a definition of success last week, that ministry success, church success, is faithfulness and obedience to the mission of the church. Faithfulness to the mission. That's success. Therefore, if you want to know if you're successful, you have to know the mission. And if you know the mission, you can know if you're being faithful to the mission. But if the heart of the mission is making disciples, then we have to answer the question, what is a disciple? Are we making any? (laughs) If that's the heart of the mission and success is being faithful to the mission, then we have to understand what the mission is, not just be able to to define it in a statement, but understand what the pieces of it are. If you don't know what a disciple is, or if you you have never been taught what a disciple is, how can you know if we're being faithful to the mission? If McDonald's doesn't know what a hamburger is, then how do they know how many hamburgers they have made? Remember the old sign? I don't think they have it anymore. 56 million hamburgers sold. Well, the only reason they can make that distinction is because they knew what a hamburger was. They exist to make hamburgers. At least that's what they were saying. And they knew how many they'd made because they knew what a hamburger was. You know, that sounds kind of foolish because everybody knows what a hamburger is. Well, maybe if you were dropped off in the middle of nowhere, Nigeria, and you tried to explain to somebody, if they asked them and you asked them, do you have any hamburgers here, a hamburger joint, you can see how old I am when I use those words, a hamburger restaurant, then they would maybe know what a you have to You have to know what you're talking about. And that's when it comes to the mission of the church. If we don't know what a disciple is, then how can we know if we're being successful in making any disciples? So before we go any further, let's bow together for prayer. Father, we need to understand your word. And to do that, we need the work of your Holy Spirit to open our eyes and ears and hearts, not only to understand the words, but to feel the weight of the truth to be transformed by that truth and to be convicted and to be challenged and changed, confronted with the good news. And so work in us this morning to do that. Work through me as the preacher. Speak your truth through my mouth that, they, uh, that we might see you for who you are and respond to you in that way and be transformed 
for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The theme of this morning's message is this. Defining a disciple is critical to knowing if we are being faithful to our mission. Defining a disciple is critical to knowing if we are being faithful to our mission. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to define what a disciple is. And if faithfulness to the mission is the definition of success, then knowing what a disciple is is imperative. Definition is key to evaluation. And without this definition, our mission statement just becomes words on paper. It becomes, in essence, useless. We can know it, we can state it, we can, we can use it, but without knowing what a disciple is, it really becomes pointless. And I'm concerned that we do know what a disciple is. And so we'll look to God's Word and answer that question, what is a disciple this morning? And the first passage we turn to, and there are many, but we'll only pick a few this morning, uh, is Luke 6, verse 40. So in Luke 6, 40, follow along as I read. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his, te- his teacher. A disciple, there it is, mentioned, verse 40. The Greek word is mathetes. And that word, when it is specifically translated and defined in the original language, in the language of Greek, means a learner. Its most basic definition is a learner. And so here Jesus is speaking generically when he says, any disciple is not above whoever his teacher is. But every disciple, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. And it lays out for us a picture of what a disciple is. A disciple is fundamentally a learner. And what does that look like? Well, how do we define that or how do we lay that out? Well, a learner is a student of a particular teacher's knowledge and wisdom. A student of a particular teacher's knowledge and wisdom. You have a disciple and you have a teacher. And this disciple is not above his teacher, but sits under his teacher. And he goes to that teacher for knowledge and wisdom. So in Jesus' day, there were all kinds of teachers and all kinds of disciples. This term precedes Jesus. The idea comes before Jesus. And so you had all kinds of philosophers, all kinds of teachers, all kinds of rabbis, all kinds of people of wisdom that someone would attach themselves to and sit under their teaching to gain the knowledge and wisdom from this person. I respect this person. I think this person has the truth. I will go and learn their knowledge and wisdom. And so in Luke uh, 5.33, we find that John the Baptist had disciples. Before Jesus is ever on the scene, John the Baptist had disciples. And so this is a common idea. And we have that idea in our culture today, right? I'm a disciple of so-and-so. Now, that's not un- unknown language, even in culture. And that just means someone who is a student of a particular teacher. And so a lot of times, really smart people who go for their doctorates will choose the graduate school they go to because they want to sit under a particular teacher because they share that philosophy and they want to learn from that person specifically. If you're going to get a doctorate in mathematics, you would figure out what math teacher you wanted to sit under because you really appreciated the way they handled mathematics, things like that. And so the word disciple is a common term for student devoted to the teaching of one teacher. But it's more than just learning knowledge and wisdom. The word disciple carries more than just the connotation of a student. It also carries the connotation of an apprentice. An apprentice of a particular teacher's way of life. 
And so where the breakdown comes today is, if I want to go to graduate school, I will take all of the classes taught by a particular teacher because I want to know everything they know. But that's just a student. That's not a disciple. That's part of what a disciple is, but a disciple is also an apprentice of a particular teacher's way of life. It's more than just taking classes. It's that, but more than that, it was living with this teacher as an apprentice. So you're going to go for an apprenticeship. And the apprenticeship in Jesus' day, and in days before Jesus and for a long time after Jesus, was more than just going to a specific job and having your apprenticeship. You would live with your master. You would live in their house. You would learn their way of life because being an apprentice to a blacksmith meant that you moved in and lived with the blacksmith, so you learned the blacksmith trade, but you spent your time there because you were living with them. You were with the blacksmith, in a sense, most of the time. And so that's the way the disciples in Jesus' day lived. They lived as apprentices to understand not just what a teacher knew, but how a teacher lived, and to have their lives conformed to the way of life of this teacher, of this master. You didn't just want to know what he knew, believe what he believed. You wanted to be just like him. Therefore, it was imitation, becoming an exact replica of your teacher. What is this demand? If you are going to learn someone's way of life, what must you do? You must follow them around everywhere they go. You must see how they interact. You must see how they spend time with their family, how they spend time with the public, how they do these things. And therefore, in the Christian context, specifically, a disciple is a follower of Jesus Christ. A disciple is a follower of Jesus Christ. So turn to Mark 8. A disciple is a follower in general. In Jesus' day, anyone who was a disciple of anyone would follow them. But it's more than just being a follower like, hey, I follow people on Facebook and Twitter. How many followers do you have? How many followers does this person have? Is that what we're talking about? Like following someone in social media? Is it like hanging out with someone? Hey, I'm going to hang out with you. Well, quit following me around. You know, like little kids at home, the little brother always tagging along, following the big brother. Quit following me. No, that's not, that's not what we're talking about here. So if you are going to be a disciple of anyone in the way that the Bible uses that term, you have to follow them to learn their way of life. But if you're going to be a disciple as a Christian, a disciple of Jesus Christ, therefore you have to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Very specific. Mark 8, 34, page 1074, if you haven't found it yet. Mark 8, 34 gives us this call to discipleship. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, this is Jesus again, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, Jesus said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If anyone would be my disciple, if anyone would come after me in the life of a disciple, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This is the general call to discipleship. The general call to discipleship. I want you to notice the audience. Who's listening to Jesus when he speaks? Verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples. So there's, there's two groups here, right? We have the people who are already disciples, which means they are already following Jesus on a daily basis, living with Jesus to learn his knowledge and to imitate his way of life. 
But now he calls them, and they're already with him, and he calls the crowd. These are not people who follow. These are people who are showing up time to time. If you look in Mark chapter 8, you go back to the beginning of the chapter, you will see he feeds a large crowd. People come to check out the teacher. And when they come to check out the teacher, they don't bring food. How foolish. You don't bring a lunch when you're going for an all-day session? Well, Jesus will feed you, and he feeds the large crowd. And then later in that same chapter, before he says this, he heals. He heals a blind man. And so he's healing people, he's feeding people, he's doing these things, and the crowd continues to press in because they come for all kinds of reasons and motivations. And he says to the crowd who are coming to check him out, he says, if you're going to come after me, if you're going to be my disciple, there's some things you need to do. And then he lays out the demands. The demand, the only way to follow Jesus, the only way to be a disciple of Christ is twofold, to deny yourself and take up your cross. What does that mean? We understand deny yourself, we'll talk about that in a minute, but what does it mean to take up your cross? The cross is a symbol of death. You might want to rethink, just slightly, wearing a cross around your neck. We like to wear crosses. We think that's a symbol of Christianity. It absolutely is a symbol of Christianity. But what kind of symbol of Christianity is it? It's a symbol of death. You know, jokingly, I heard one preacher say one time, would you wear an electric chair around your neck? You know, it's a little symbol of electric chair. That's what it is. It was the means of capital punishment in the Roman Empire. And I understand why we do it, because the cross is a symbol of Christianity, but it's a symbol of death. So when you wear the cross, when you have little cross earrings, and I see people all the time with these kind of things, and I wonder, I've never seen anything in their life that demonstrates that they have taken up their cross and followed Jesus, because it's a symbol of death. Whenever in the Roman Empire you saw people carrying a cross, you knew one thing was about to happen. Remember Jesus on the way to Golgotha? He's going to die, and what do they make him do? carry his cross. And when he can't carry his cross, because he's so weak from being beaten, they have to get someone else to carry his cross. You're carrying your cross because you are going to die. And anytime you saw someone carrying a cross, it wasn't like, I wonder if they're going to die. You know, they, they might be dead soon. You would know one thing for certain, someone's carrying a cross. They're a dead man walking, Right? they're going to hang him on that cross and that man is guaranteed to die or that woman is guaranteed to die so if you are to take up your cross it is a symbol of death it means die die to yourself and there's some verses here write them down study them at length later second corinthians 5 15 and he speaking of jesus christ died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves So don't live for yourself. You're going to live for whom? But for him. Live for Jesus, who for their sake died and was raised. The life of a disciple is dying to yourself, living for Christ. He died for you. You live for him. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. What was the price? Christ's death. The blood of Jesus, he died. He bought you with a price. So therefore, glorify God in your body. Why? Because you were bought. You are not your own. Christian, disciple, 
You are Christ's because he bought you with his blood. And then Luke 14, 33. So therefore, if anyone of you does not renounce all that he has, cannot be my disciple. This puts it into other terms. You must actively renounce. You must deny yourself. You must die to self. You must live for him. You must renounce all and follow him. So this is strong language. This isn't just watching Jesus from afar. It's not just showing up now and then for some food or some miracles. This isn't just, oh, you know, I, I, I believe in Jesus. I trust in Jesus. This is considerably strong language. But that's what a disciple must be. This picture of dying to yourself, denying yourself, renouncing all that you have, and following. This is the picture of repentance. This is the picture of repentance. It's turning from your old way of thinking, turning from your old way of living, turning to think like Christ and live for Christ. It is renouncing all that you were, confessing Christ as Savior and Lord. And this renouncing is a dying to self, a dying to living for your own glory. And now you will live for the glory of God. And the only reason anyone can do this, the only reason anyone would do this is because Jesus Christ died in their place. He bought them with the price of his own shed blood. Now this is good news. Great news of the gospel, right? This is unbelievable news that the teacher, the master, the Lord, dies for his disciples. He doesn't come and ask his disciples to die for him first. He doesn't show up on the scene like some great, uh, you've been waiting, you've been waiting for the Messiah, you've been waiting for this great man, now I'm here, and now join me, give your life for me. That's not how he came. He came to do what? To give his life a ransom for many. He came and died for us, and then after dying for us, he tells us who are going to follow him to do what? to live for him. Now that means we must die. But we die to ourselves and we live for him. But he dies for us first. He first gives his life for his disciples and then calls them to die and live for him. This is repentance. Have you repented and trusted in Jesus Christ alone? Are you following him as Lord? Denying yourself, taking up your cross, that's what following Jesus is means. Now, that's the general call. Remember, Christ is speaking to the crowd. He says, if anyone would come after me, if anyone wants to be a disciple, here's what it takes. Now, you can turn there if you want, or you can just listen, turn to Mark chapter 1. So just back a few pages, Mark chapter 116, 1 verse 16. I want you to see the effective call to discipleship. So Jesus speaks to the crowds and says, if anyone wants to be a disciple, here's the process. But notice what he does something differently earlier in the same book. Passing alongside, Mark 1, verse 16, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. 
And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. He calls the crowd to himself and gives a general call to discipleship. Notice it's vastly different here. This is the effective call to discipleship, where specifically Jesus goes to specific people, calls them by name, and he calls them to follow him. And what's the response there? It's not an if anyone would follow me. He says, hey, you, follow me. And what do they do? When Jesus calls people by name to be his disciples, what do they do? They follow him because he is the Lord and he is the master. And we see an example of what he generally talks about in Mark chapter 8. We see an example of these four men leaving all they have behind. They renounce it all and follow him. And they become his disciples. The effective call to discipleship creates disciples. It creates followers. Jesus calls those he has chosen and they follow him. He goes to Simon he goes to Andrew. He goes to James and John. James and John, are they have showed up. They have seen Jesus before because a few of them at least were disciples of John. But they weren't like full-time disciples, I guess, because here they are working their job. And when Jesus comes to them, they know who he is, but he calls them to follow him. He chose them specifically. He called them particularly. And notice this very, very carefully. Being a disciple begins with what Jesus does. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ begins with what he does. He comes to this earth. He lives a perfect life. He dies in the place of his disciples. He dies for their sins on the cross. He is raised for their declaration of righteousness. He then chooses his disciples. He calls them. And then after all of that, what do they do? They follow him. He does everything. And then he says, follow me. And his disciples do what? They follow him. This is Jesus Christ making disciples. Now this is a tremendous encouragement and comfort to us as a church. Because our mission is to make disciples. And you can begin to think, well, how are we, how are we going to do that? How do you make disciples? How do you make followers of Jesus Christ who are students and apprentices who deny themselves, die to themselves, and follow. How do you make that happen? You know the answer to that? I should just walk away. I should just leave this right here because I want you to really understand the answer to this question. We have been called to make disciples. That is our mission. And so how do we do that? The first answer and most important answer is we don't. We can't. We can't do what we've been called to do. So it's not up to us, ultimately, primarily, or even solely. It starts with God. It ends with God. It is empowered by God. We faithfully do the work that God calls us to do, and he determines the results. He is the one who makes disciples. When Jesus calls, disciples respond. When Jesus works, when the Holy Spirit convicts, when God brings new life, all of those terms happen in the lives of people. They will renounce what they have, and follow him. And we can't make that happen. Yet we are called to make that happen. Well, how are we called to make that happen? We are called to do the work of disciple-making. 
And what that looks like is that we tell others what it means to be a disciple. We repeat what Jesus said. We give the call of Jesus. We teach the truth of Christ in the scripture. And then Christ determines whom he will effectively call. We give out a general call. We preach the gospel generally. We preach the gospel without any hesitation to all men, to all people, everywhere. And we call them to follow Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. But yet we can't make any of them. We can't determine that any of them will actually do it. Only God, the Holy Spirit, through the word of God, preached and proclaimed and shared, will cause new life to come and people to be disciples. This is why we cannot judge our success with numbers of salvations, professions, numbers of baptisms. Because people being saved and people being baptized isn't up to us. We can't make it happen. We judge our success upon our faithfulness with those whom God has given us. Faithfulness with the opportunities that God provides to call people to follow Christ, to help them follow Christ, to teach them what it means to follow Christ, but we can't make anybody follow Christ. Isn't that frustrating? Doesn't it just make you want to take your head and just beat it on the door, you know, beat it on the desk? You sit there as a pastor and you preach and teach. You give yourself to this task and then it seems like many times nothing happens, Right? And parents, you know what I'm talking about. You do family devotions. You challenge your kids. You raise your children to discipline and instruction of the Lord. You call them to follow Jesus. You tell them what it means. You tell them that they're a sinner. You help them see that their only hope is Christ. And then they don't. They walk away and they turn their back and they go their own way. And you so much just want to grab a hold of them. And sometimes you do, but that's sinful. You want to grab a hold of them and you want to say, just follow Jesus. I want to make you live for God. And you can't. You can beat them, you can threaten them, you can lock them in their room, and they'll just be as wicked as when they come, when they come out. Probably more wicked. We understand that we are dependent upon the God who makes disciples, the master who calls and effectively calls. And that is why we pray. We pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the field. We pray for witnessing opportunities. We pray for God to work. We pray for God to use us. We pray because God must change hearts, and we can't. But we can pray. And we can be obedient and faithful to the task of giving the truth, preaching the gospel, doing that work that he's called us to do. But in the end, it is in God's hands. And therefore, we can't judge our success as parents on how many of our kids are Christians. See how this works across the board? Well, I'm a failure as a parent. Why? Because my kids aren't walking with the Lord. No, were you faithful to the task that God gave you? Were you obedient to the mission? And maybe you weren't. And so for that, you are a failure, but not for the results. And the same thing is true with our mission. Now, what is a disciple? That's the call, but I want to get specific to what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so a disciple is a Christian. Now, this might seem like a no-duh, a no-brainer, but uh, for many of us, I think it's, it's not so. We, we, we see this differently. And I want you to look at a verse of Acts eleven twenty six. 26. It's on the screen where it says this, and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. What, what does the word Christian mean? It literally means follower of Christ. It really means imitation, imitator of Christ, little Christ. You're a Christian. It's like being a, uh, you know, an Owasso-ian, right? Well, that, what does that say? It means I'm from Owasso. 
Uh, Michigander. You know, that doesn't work. I'm sorry. I'll quit doing it. Um, little Christ. Now, the old word is disciple. The new word, started in Antioch, was Christian. And so what this tells us is that there is no Christian who isn't following Jesus. There is no one who's following Jesus who isn't a Christian. So these two terms are synonymous in the New Testament. If you're a Christian, you're a disciple. If you're a disciple, you're a Christian. So I can go around calling you a disciple. I call you a Christian. It doesn't matter. Now, the world knows us as Christians because we're disciples of Christ. We're followers of Christ. But somehow, in our thinking, we've started thinking that there's two categories. There are Christians, and then there are disciples of Christ. And I don't mean the denomination. I mean, there are people who trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Well, mostly Savior, but they know He's Lord, but they don't really follow Him. They just kind of make a decision, uh, raise their hand, walk an aisle, get baptized, sign a card, whatever it might be. Now they're Christians, but when the call to discipleship comes, to being a disciple, they say, no, no, that's not for me. I just want to be a Christian. I want to be a disciple of Christ. Well, what does the Bible teach us? You can't have it that way. You, you, if you're a Christian, you're a disciple. There's not these normal average Christians and then these super Christians called disciples. No. A Christian is a disciple. What does that look like? Well, Matthew 11 you don't have to turn there. I'll just be quick. You can write it down. Matthew 11, 29 to 30. What does that mean to be a Christian? What is some of the work of discipling? Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. There's the word learner. Yoke, connected to yoke. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So you can fill in the blank yourself, right? A Christian is someone. A Christian is a disciple someone who has taken the yoke of Jesus Christ. This is not an egg yoke. Don't get hungry yet, all right? This is yoke, Y-O-K-E, taking the yoke of Christ. This entails submitting to the authority of Christ. You have yoked yourself. You are being yoked to Christ. Everyone knows what a yoke is in this context? It's that wooden thing they put over oxen or put over uh, farm animals so that they, they work in tandem, they work together. The yoke of Christ, it, it connects you to Christ. But it also has to do with the yoke is the, the teaching of Christ. So in that other kind, it, 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 it's attaching yourself to someone's teaching. The purpose of the submission is to learn Christ, to become like Christ. Therefore, a disciple is someone engaged in transformative learning. Engaged in transformative learning. I want to learn Christ. I want to become like Christ. I'm yoked to Christ. I'm a Christian. I'm a disciple of Christ. How many more ways can we talk about this, right? I'm trying to hit it from every which way so that you can get a full and forward picture of what it means. Well, what does this look like in practical terms? Just a few practicalities. A follower, this disciple is a follower who trains for godliness. You train for godliness. Remember what it said in Luke 6.40. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. So how do you go? How do you become like Jesus Christ? Then you go through Christ-like training. Uh, Paul wrote to first, in 1 Timothy 4, verse 7, rather, train yourself for godliness. That's what it means to be like Christ, to be godly. Train yourself for that. Now, what does this training include? So if I'm a disciple, I'm someone who's training for godliness. What's included in that? Basically, the disciplines of the Christian life. The disciplines of the Christian life. Notice 
inside the word disciplines is what word? Disciple. A disciple is someone who's been disciplined. Disciplined according to the teachings and the way of life of the Lord that they are following. So we have the disciplines of the Christian life. And these terms are related for a good reason. Three basic disciplines of the Christian disciple. Three primary training methods. The first one is the Word of God, the Bible. The second one is prayer. And the third is fellowship, belonging to the body of Christ. I'm just going to give these quickly. Next week we'll go into detail on all three of these. A disciple is someone who trains for godliness in three basic areas. But the question I want to ask today is, are you in training? If you profess to be a Christian, you are claiming to be a disciple. And a disciple is someone who has submitted to the authority and teaching of Jesus Christ in order to be transformed into his likeness. Imitate him. Look like him. And the means of that transformation is godly training, the Christian disciplines. If you aren't in training, how can you honestly claim to be a disciple? How can you claim to be a Christian? Now, I know that we can claim to be anything we want to claim to be, especially today. If you just say it, it's true. You can just claim to be whoever, whatever, and we just all have to accept it and acknowledge you and call you by that, whatever. But that's not the way it really works. That's a mirage. That's a, that's a falsehood. If you are not in training and disciples of Jesus Christ are being trained, if you've opted out of the training program, how do you continue to say that you are one of those people? So I would say it like this. Um, you joined the Marines, and you are training to be a Marine, and then you don't want to train to be a Marine anymore because you don't like the training. It's too hard. It's too much. Whatever the reason is. And so you drop out of the Marines, and yet you go around saying to everyone, What? I'm a Marine. You wear the uniform of a Marine. You keep your hair cut like a Marine, because that's really what differentiates a Marine, right? You wear the uniform, you have the haircut, you look like a Marine. You didn't even finish basic training. You're not in the Marines anymore. You're not doing the work of a Marine, and yet you go around impersonating a Marine. Do you see my point? I started to become a Christian. I started following Christ. It got too hard, all those work, all that training. I've kind of opted out of that training program, but I can look like a Christian. I can dress like a Christian. I can talk like a Christian. I can impersonate a Christian. But that doesn't make me a Christian. The question for each one of us to answer, are we really a follower training for godliness? And then, uh, lastly, number four, a follower devoted to helping others follow Jesus Christ. A follower devoted to helping others follow Jesus Christ. Remember what Jesus said that his disciples would do? Remember what he said he would make his disciples into in Mark chapter 1? He says to Simon and Andrew and James and John, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. If you follow me, you're going to become something. You're going to be something. I'm going to make you into something. If you join the Marines and you go through Marine boot camp, outside of that 13 weeks, you'll come out what? You're going to come out like a Marine. Now, maybe some of you don't find that to be a positive thing, but the Marines think so. If you follow me, I will make you into fishers of men. Therefore, the thought is, and the understanding is, disciples, disciple. Followers of Christ proclaim the good news of Christ. We'll talk about this in detail in a couple of weeks, but I want to give you some practical help right in this moment. Discipling someone sounds intimidating. 
That sounds intimidating. For some of you, it doesn't, it's not just intimidating, it sounds impossible. Disciples are devoted to helping others follow Christ. If I'm a follower, I'm going to be devoted to helping others follow Christ. And it just sounds so wrong. It's like if, if you're going to be a teacher, you got to teach others. Well, I, I don't know if I can teach. I don't know if I can do these kind of things. So I want to I want to give you some help this morning. What this means and what this really how this live, is lived out. It is helping someone take one more step toward Christ. It's helping people take one more step towards Christ, and then another step, and then another step, and then I just want to help you take one more step. You don't have to be able to do everything from A to Z now. All you have to do to help someone take one more step is to stay one step ahead. Right? So I just need to know a little more than you do to help you. And then as I help you take, learn a little bit more than I do, I keep learning, I keep taking a step, I just got to stay one step ahead. Right? You just have to stay one step ahead of your kids. Anybody who does homeschooling knows that. You don't know all this stuff when you start homeschooling. You can't remember all the math you learned in school yourself. So what do you have to do? You read the lesson today for tomorrow. Do you have to know the whole book before you say, no, there's no way. You just have to say, that's what we do. And then we help people take one more step. Every Christian can do that for someone. Now, some Christians aren't here. Some Christians have already walked a lot of steps. They're here. And if you're a Christian who's over here, are you going to help them take one more step? Not mostly. Every now and then you can bring a challenge. You can encourage them. But mostly the people that are farther down the road are going to do what? Help the people behind them. So there are certain people you won't be able to disciple, help follow Jesus mostly, because they're farther down the road. They help you, but there's always someone one step behind, right? Even if it's just an unbeliever. If someone that you know trusts Christ today, don't you know more than they do right now? Can't you help them take more steps? Aren't you farther down the road? This is the challenge that we have. The question is, who are you helping follow Christ? Who are you helping follow Christ? We cannot work the Great Commission. We cannot successfully make disciples if all the disciples aren't helping anyone else be a disciple. So let me answer the question. What is a disciple here right at the end? A disciple is a forgiven sinner who is following Christ in repentance and faith. A forgiven sinner who is following Christ in repentance and faith. There are other aspects to it. We've laid some things out. We'll talk more about it in the weeks to come. But that's the basic definition. And we are having ministry success if we are faithfully helping forgiven sinners follow Christ in repentance and faith. If a disciple is a forgiven sinner who's following Christ in repentance and faith, and our call is to make disciples, then we are successful when we are faithfully helping these forgiven sinners follow Christ in repentance and faith. So for all of our time and money, for all of the use of our resources, is this what is being produced? Disciples. The primary question isn't, are people happy, satisfied, encouraged, or excited? It isn't, what programs are we running and what projects have we completed? It isn't, how many people are in attendance and how much was the offering? The primary question is, are people following Christ in repentance and faith? And are we faithful to the task of helping them do that? If so, we are successful. And if not, 
no matter how big, how rich, how much we do, all these other things, we are not successful. We must have the right view. We must know what a disciple is to know whether we are being successful in what God has called us to be. Let's pray together. Father, your word is clear. Sometimes we don't recognize it, we don't study it, we don't understand it, but your word is clear. Help us to see what success is. Help us to know what we are called to do and what we can't do. That way we might find our encouragement in you, our strength in you, our joy in you, and we would faithfully dedicate and give our lives, deny ourselves, die to ourselves, and follow you in the task of making disciples. Trusting you for the results, depending on you for all that you must do. Lord, work in us, transform and change us. Cause us to be faithful to the task. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and sing in closing.